Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of a Shabbat learning session with TBA rabbinic intern Ben Siegel. This week's Parsha at Hanan has a lot of really important things in it. Um, and we're going to be looking at something that happens before all that stuff. So we get the second telling of the um, the Sarat uh, wrote the ten, we'll call them commandments. That's not a really literal translation. But um, so we have that. We have the first paragraph of the Shema. Um, but before all of that, um, and after what we read today, uh, we have this verse at the top of your page, um, and for the sake of those on Zoom, I'm going to do the reading, um, although I am going to. So it says, uh, and I'm, I'm going to go with this translation for now, but um, there's a lot of, as we go through the text, the, um, the different commentaries, you'll see that there are different ways of understanding even what that means. Um, but take utmost care and watch yourself scrupulously so that you do not forget the things you saw with your own eyes and so that they do not fade from your mind as long as you live and make them known to your children and to your children's children. So before we get into all of the commentaries and looking at what this might mean and putting this in the context of what's going on in the greater Parsha, why do our memories matter? Why, why do they matter so much that we need to take the utmost care and watch them scrupulously? Yeah. We learn from the things that we've done. So our memories are a lesson for us to learn from going forward. Great. Right. Great. So if we make mistakes, then we can learn from them only if they're in our memory. Other thoughts? Hmm? It, yeah. It, it's a way of being able to experience those who aren't here anymore, for sure. Yeah. Can you say a little bit more what you mean by that? There are times that So our emotional memory helps us to calibrate the moment that we're in. Is that what you're getting at? Okay, great. Yeah, we, if we, our understanding of joy and sadness and every other emotion is calibrated based on previous experiences. So after, after like the most joyous day in our life, happiness at getting, I don't know, an extra Reese's in our package um, is going to be a little bit less joyful. And on the other hand, something that's maybe even more joyful than the previous happiest day just feels that much greater. And vice versa on the side of sadness or any other emotion. Yeah. So without the knowledge of what's happened to us, it's a lot easier to be convinced of something that may be based on that experience. Our, our memories, oddly enough, sometimes our memories do lead us astray. Um, they can sometimes. Um, and sometimes it's the opposite. Sometimes it can be very helpful to remember the moment and other times it can be very unhelpful they've done studies of people um, uh, especially with regards to like criminal justice system that people that witness firsthand witness testimony is some of the least reliable um, evidence that you can bring in because our memories can be 
we try to make sense of our memories. And sometimes that means that we actually alter the facts. Um, and it can come down to as little as forgetting what color shirt the person was wearing up to much more, much greater things, but it can actually lead us astray. Um, okay. Yeah, yeah. And we're going to, yeah, yeah. And we'll get into that a little bit. So it's one thing to talk about the little details, but the critical moments in our life, hopefully the memory, the reason that they're clear, critical memories in our life or critical moments in our life is because they're ingrained in our memory in a way that affects us going forward. And when we talk about um, this Parsha and get into some of the examples and um, the, the um, what's going on here in the Parsha, it becomes a little bit clearer that we are talking about those much more clear, critical moments and less about someone walking out of a store who may have done something who may have robbed the store or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, exactly. So the, if we're talking a little bit more about what's going on in this Parsha, then we are talking about, we'll see, it's going to be talking in particular about the experiences in the desert at uh, Har Sinai, all of that. And these are the critical nation formation story um, or nation formation moments, I should say. And so all of these things are important because they teach us who we are, where we're coming from. And then that leads into the second question that um, I was going to get to, which is why do the memories matter for those that come after <laughs> us? Because it teaches those people, those individuals as well, where they come from and where, where their place is in the world and all of that. Um, so I'm going to get into one com. Well, we're going to do two commentaries here. Um, we have, um, at once, and then we'll get into them a little bit. Um, Rashi and then Siftei Chachamim, which is kind of a meta commentary on Rashi. He's just, he'll make the Rashi a little bit more understandable, I'll say. So, uh, only take heed to thyself, lest thou forget the things, but only then when you do not forget them, uh, but will do them in their correct manner, will you be accounted wise and understanding men? But if you do them in an incorrect manner through forgetfulness, you will be accounted <laughs> foolish. And then Siftei Chachamim says, will you be considered wise and understanding, etc. Rashi intends to explain why is it written rock only, raki shamer lecha, uh, which is an exclusionary term as opposed to he shamer lecha, guard yourself. Um, what is being... Uh, yeah, for what is being excluded here. Therefore, Rashi says only the rock is referring to the above verse, uh, the verse that comes before this, for that uh, displays your wisdom and your understanding, etc. Under which conditions will you be considered wise and understanding if you don't forget them? So real quickly, even with the Siftei Chachamim, I think it's important that we're all on the same page. What is Rashi saying here? How is Rashi understanding this verse? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, the question was whether or not he's talking generally or specifically um, with regards to the chukim, with the laws, all of that. And yes, he is. He's talking about all these mitzvot that have come before this, 
make sure that you do them. It's a negative. He's he's reading this as a command that um, and an understand. Or I'm going to get this wrong. So I'm, but he's understanding it as the um, as a command that you need to do the mitzvot. And if you don't do the mitzvot, then you won't be considered wise and understanding. So then. If, if you're looking at this through the lens of our memories, how can this guide us as we go about life and reflect on our memories? So, in other words, how, how can we take this going forward? The answer that I'm understanding from you is that we can go forward by making sure that we're actually forming those memories correctly. That in the moment we're being observed, we're being observant of our surroundings we're being mindful of where we are what's going on around us so that the memory is imprinted as accurately as possible and then it can guide us going forward and and, and we can learn from that what's expected of us so if we think back to a childhood memory where we take a cookie and then as a result of that there's some sort of um, negative consequence that we don't like um, the important thing is to remember what happened in that moment, the negative consequence, so that going forward, if we're told don't take the cookie, we don't take the cookie so that we don't go through the negative experience again. Okay. So the, the question that was just brought up is, is that wisdom or Pavlovian conditioning? Can it be both? I mean, I, yeah, what, what does Rashi mean by wisdom here? It's... Um, what let, let's talk about it for us at least what's the difference between like smart and wise there there are two words that theoretically mean the same thing and i would say that they're generally not used the same way yeah ellen yeah exactly so the the quip that was just put out there is that uh Knowledge is knowing that tomato is a fruit, but wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. That, so wisdom is more about guiding our actions. Knowledge is knowing the facts. But wisdom, wisdom, well, making wisdom comes from making mistakes. Yeah, it, it certainly can come from making mistakes. It can also come from doing the right thing and learning from that too. But it, it, wisdom is, a, is something from experience as opposed to facts more often than not. So somehow wisdom should be something that guides us towards making the next right action, as opposed to um, knowledge, which can potentially, or smarts, which can potentially lay a, lead us astray. Okay, yeah, 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 great. Yeah, so now knowledge is something that can be used for good purposes or bad purposes. Um, violent or not, one of the examples thrown out in the room was uh, the atomic bomb. We've used knowledge of nuclear physics both to make energy and to make weapons. Wisdom would be withholding the use of those weapons potentially um, and using it only for the purposes that are more peaceful. Great. Um, let's look at another take and go forward. Um, Ibn Ezra says, um, its meaning is, should you forget everything, do not forget the day that you stood at Sinai. So what's, I think it's pretty, it reads pretty straightforward, but what's he saying? 
So he's saying, if, if you're going to forget everything else, don't forget the fact that you stood at Har Sinai, you experienced God, and you have that knowledge of being in the presence of the Holy One. If you're going to forget everything else, don't forget that one experience. Um, memories can leave our mind as time goes on. I've been told numerous stories of myself as a child that I take for granted happen because my parents tell them consistently. I have no memory of them, especially prior to, especially um, the stories that happened prior to me having any real language skills. My parents tell a story of me stealing snacks to, from preschool and handing them out to other people. I'm sure it happened. I do not recall it whatsoever. Um, and it's very possible that it didn't. That being said, this has been one of those stories that has shaped who I want to be, if nothing else, um, because I know how fondly they tell that story. Here too with Harsinai, Ibn Ezra is saying, there are many things that happened on the way to Israel. Some of them are pretty bad things that ideally we should remember that we don't make those mistakes again. Spoiler alert, we're not going to remember as a people. Um, but at the very least, we should remember that moment where we were all one nation at Harsinai in the presence of God. Um, and I think that gets into the second question that I put there. Why would a memory of Harsinai be so important? Um, it, it's one of those moments that is nation building, going back to what was said earlier. If we're going to talk about who, our memories as being guides of who we are, um, who we, where we came from and who we are, then the, those core memories are really important to have in mind. Um, I'm going to move on then um, to Sforno, who has another take. Um, he says, uh, Even though I have said that you are wise people in the eyes of the Gentile nations, be careful not to absorb the views of the wise men of those nations who deny the existence of God the Creator and God's ability and God's supervision of the universe God has created. They may try to convince you with all kinds of intelligent-sounding theories. And then he says for the second part of the verse, um, therefore, or you must therefore relate these experiences you had with your own eyes to your children who have not seen such miracles. So what's Forno's take on all this? Perfect, perfect summarization. Um, I'm going to do it one more time, not quite as precisely, um, just for those who are on Zoom and listening in podcast-wise and otherwise. Um, Sforno is saying, this moment that you had at Harsinai happened once. It will not happen again. There will be other moments where God intervenes in history, but it's not going to happen like that. <coughs> and you need to guard that memory because you were there, but your children won't have been there. And your children's children won't have ha been there or have had those sorts of experiences. You need to tell these stories from generation to generation because there will be people who weren't there who will deny that it ever happened. And therefore, you need to pass this story on. That this needs to be repeated again and again because it was, he's kind of going into what Ibn Ezra is saying. It was a defining moment. And it was a defining moment that we need to keep at our core because otherwise there will be people who try to lead us astray. Yeah. Yeah. It, it feels very, um, it feels very important in this moment as were, I'm probably of 
one of the last generations to grow up having had experiences with Shoah survivors. And it's important to have had those experiences hearing firsthand from people who went through those experiences. And therefore, it's also important for me and for everyone in this room who has heard from those survivors to pass those stories on as well, because at the very because we have a certain level of um, of trustworthiness, having heard it from someone who was there firsthand in a way that maybe doesn't come across from a book or doesn't come across from someone who's heard from someone who's heard from someone who's heard, etc. Um, it goes into uh, Yehuda Halevi's whole theory of why does God exist says it's kind of this essentially this idea that we have this book that happened and it's been passed down from generation to generation and if you went back to the first generation that had Torah they would have been seen as insane if they put this book out there and said that all these things happened and they didn't happen they'd have people saying left and right you can't prove that that didn't happen but therefore he said but because you can't disprove that which is kind of I will admit shaky ground to stand on, but it's a really hard theory to disprove um, because it's a firsthand experience that was told to, from generation to generation. You know that it must have happened. Yeah, notion. exactly. The notion is that 600,000 people couldn't possibly all be telling the same lie, exactly the same way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sometimes the people who will yeah, sometimes there will be a motive behind trying to disprove something that we know has happened. But ultimately, we will know that it happened because we were there or because we heard firsthand from someone who was there who comes or in particular, in this case, from 600,000 plus people who were there who are all telling the same story. 600,000 plus Jews can't possibly have the same opinion. It's pretty hard to say that they couldn't have that if they're saying the same thing happened, it didn't happen. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna move on to the last commentary for the sake of time. Um, it's a little bit long. Just hear me out because I think it gets to something. It kind of synthesizes some of what we've said in a really nice way. Um, in particular, it's a shorter version of what Ramban says, which is saying something because I know it's a little bit on the longer side. Um, only beware and be very much on your guard lest you forget. According to Nachmanides Ramban, these words are not merely part of Moses' speech of admonition, but constitute one of the 365 negative commandments. We must not forget the origin of God's commandment, which we heard at the revelation at Mount Sinai, when God, heard, when God spoke out of the fire, etc., and we witnessed God's awesome glory, etc., so he's saying, um, I think a little, I think I might have said earlier that Rashi's saying it's a commandment. I misspoke that. Rashi's saying this is guidance. Ramban and Torah Roch are saying, no, this is an actual mitzvah. Mitzvah. He goes on to say, Moses instructs further, worded as a positive commandment, that we must inform successive generations of the details of that great event. This is important, even though hearing the laws from the mouth of the incomparable prophet Moses would be enough to obligate us to keep them meticulously. So it's one thing for Moses to just say, you should do this. It's another thing for God to say through Moses, you should do this. We would trust what Moses is saying as a leader, even if he was not saying it on God's behalf. But in this case, he is saying it on God's behalf. Um, where was it? Uh, 
we have had so much proof of the legitimacy of Moses as a prophet that whatever comes out of his mouth is bound, bound to have God's approval, nonetheless being reminded that originally these laws were communicated to the people without the use of an intermediary, even one as illustrious as Moses, acts as an anchor to our faith in the sacredness of the Torah, reminding ourselves of that historic experience of the whole nation at Mount Sinai enables us to call anyone who tries to deny the divine nature of any part of the Torah a liar. Uh, it's strong language for sure. Anyone who challenges this, no matter how many miracles uh, they perform, will not be able to shake our faith as they reveal themselves ultimately as a false prophet. This is why God said to Moses in Exodus 19, chapter 9, or verse 9, that the very fact that the people as a whole would experience an audible communication from God directly would not only strengthen their faith in God, but would also their stre strengthen their faith in Moses as a true mouthpiece of God. By copying down the reports of these events in the Torah, this would enable our children and their children in their time to know all of this is true, that we are not copying down fairy tales. Our children will not accuse us of feeding them lies when they can see that we as well as our parents relate to them only what has been written down and copied faithfully, word for word and letter by letter for many generations. So very strong. Um, what's he getting at ultimately here? That, yeah, that not only is it important for us to guard our memories the first half, he's leaning into the second half of it. We, those memories are not nearly as important for us as they are for the successive generations that follow that there's there's um, a phrase in um, organizational life of institutional memory institutional memory is paramount to the success of an institution because it allows an institution to not have to experience the mistakes of the past just because there's turnover that's something that can be lost very easily when there is turnover um, but if there's a very strong institutional memory or a strong um, national memory of what's happened it allows the outcome, the outgrowth of that memory to stay firmly rooted. So when we think of the national memory of the USA, thinking of the midnight ride of Paul Revere, all these different things that have been firmly built into a national memory, it doesn't, to a certain extent, even though he's saying all these things are true, he's also kind of getting at the fact that it doesn't matter whether or not they're true as long as they're passed on from generation to generation. Um, there's a fun um, story I've heard that Paul Revere's ride, if you actually look at what he did, it's not really that impressive. But, what's, but what sticks with us is the story of him trying to save an entire nation. Um, he, he didn't ride that far, that's the impressive part. And it would kind of be like saying from here in Pico Robertson to like Santa Monica, which is like, something on a horse, but it's not like um, there's a, another individual, his name is Israel Bissell. He went a very far way to warn people. The reason that we don't have a national memory of Israel Bissell is because his name doesn't sound as good in a, in, uh, a rhyme. Um, the whole story of Paul Revere gets codified in the Midnight Ride of Paul Revere, um, which rhymes a lot better. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of her name either. But yeah, the, like, but, but that, that goes into the idea that national memory can be a formational thing regardless of whether or not it happened. And when you 
like the outgrowth of what that does for a nation, as we have for many generations as Jews, it's important to pass that down, even if it isn't necessarily based in anything that is 100% factual. So oddly enough, I find um, that Torah Roch is saying, even though he actively tries to prove time and time again it that this that Harsinai happened, he's oddly proving the fact that it doesn't matter whether or not it happened as long as we as a um, we as a people take the lessons from Harsinai forward and pass them down from generation to generation. And so my hope for all of us is that we can take the experiences we have, both positive and negative, and teach them to successive generations so that those generations might find even more success than we have in our own life. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.